Americans. Welcome to Healthy Choices with your host, Ray Solano from Austin, Texas. We're ready for your calls right now. Call in toll-free at 877-956-9566. Now, here's your host, Ray Solano. Well, hello there, and welcome to Healthy Choices, XM Broadcasting Live from Austin, Texas. I'm your host, Ray Solano. I'm clinical pharmacist and board-certified clinical nutritionist. And we're ready here to answer questions about your health today because we really feel that taking responsible choices can change your life. And we're here on a Saturday, on a July 4th weekend. We're probably the only live show this weekend, but we want to make sure that we get the word out for our listeners on something we feel is going to be something very, very important. Today's show is going to be uh, about an in-depth discussion of chronic exposure to mold, and also the effects of Lyme disease. Lyme disease, over 330,000 new cases occur each year. And the Wall Street Journal noted that this is going to be one of the biggest years for tick infestation, especially in Northeast cities. And also it's going to be throughout the country. So we want to make sure everybody stays, stays tuned to our show because we have a tremendous lineup of guests. We have Dr. Richie Shoemaker, MD, and joining us live for an interview in the second half of our show is going to be Dr. Andy Heyman. Dr. Andrew Heyman has got a very successful practice in Aldi, Virginia, and he's a nationally recognized lecturer, as well as Dr. Richie Shoemaker is also a pioneer in Lyme and mold diseases. These two nationally recognized physicians in integrative medicine are literally changing the way we're looking at medicine and how we treat patients that seem to never get better. And any of our anybody, medical professionals, professionals listening today or patients that seem to be going from doctor to doctor and they keep on coming in one different diagnosis over another, they can't ever seem to get better. Well, you might want to listen up because today we may have the answers to what you're looking for. Our toll-free number is 877-956-9566. We may not have a lot of time for questions in the first half of the, the show, but definitely on the second half. You can text us anytime during our show at 512-219-0724. And as always, check out our website, healthychoicesxm.com, for podcasts of this show. And our show is brought to you by, is sponsoring by Prescription Dispensing Labs, or PD Labs, nationally licensed pharmacy centered on research Driven Pharmaceuticals, and Hopkinton Drugs of Massachusetts. We appreciate our sponsors today, and you want to take some notes. It's going to be a little bit technical, but this is something that you want to want to tape and listen to again because it is something that you're going to hear over and over again. You heard it first on Healthy Choices XM. So we're going to go to Dr. Richie Shoemaker, our interview we did yesterday. He's unable to be on our show today to free up his schedule, but he's committed to spread the word and how, these, how we can really change your lives. And he's very committed. So uh, listen very closely. Sean, let's go ahead and get started with our interview with Dr. Richie Shoemaker. Dr. Richie Shoemaker, thank you so much for taking the time out today to join us on Healthy Choices XM. You know, Dr. Shoemaker, you know, I know you're in a busy schedule, but this is something you feel very passionate about. And I, 
am I right? This is this is your this is your life work that we're talking about today. So, and our our listeners need to understand that, don't they? Well, thank you for the invitation, first of all, and I'm delighted to uh, to bring what I concern consider to be important issues to your your listening audience. And if if I'm accused about being passionate, I, I guess I'll accept that criticism. <laughs> At the same well, time, yeah. I want your listeners to to know that everything that I'm going to talk about today has been peer reviewed and published. So peer reviewers kind of cut out some some passion, but at the same time. Uh, I think we're looking at the cusp of, uh, w- without sounding overly dramatic, uh, publications that are going to turn our knowledge of the treatment practice of medicine upside down from cardiology to orthopedics all the way to mold problems and Lyme. It's a broad brush, but we've got the data to show it. You know, we, we see a, just a growing percentage of patients that are walking in your door in our, in our pharmacy with chronic infections and mysterious ailments, not really understood, not easily diagnosed by traditional doctors. In many cases, these are debilitating, and lives are changed because of this. And they, have, they come away with different uh, labels, many times behavioral medications. Uh, and then they say, then we have these these small diagnoses of mold and Lyme, and they treat them with antibiotics, but they don't get any better. And, you know, your work, I, I consider you a pioneer, and, you know, you have the tenacity to uncover the root cause of, of this inflammatory uh, disorder, this inflammation, which causes the immune system just to short circuit. So give us, our, our listeners, a review of your journey and, and, and also your breakthrough research that maybe fixed the problem. The, the story can be a short one. Unfortunately, I usually make it a long one, so be sure and cut me off if I'm <laughs> wandering a bit. Uh, I had finished my medical school at Duke University in 1977, and I wanted a rural family practice experience. And after I finished my family practice residency, I came to Pocomoke, Maryland, on the eastern shore. 2,000 people then and maybe 2,100 now. We've gone from two stoplights to three, and that third one, I tell you, it takes me five minutes some days. This is crazy to get to work. It is just ridiculous what's happened here. But another another story. In Pocomoke, which is an area dominated by one of the watersheds that drains in the Chesapeake Bay, in 1996 we saw fish that had funny lesions on them, fisteria, a dinoflagellate was found to be active, watermen who caught the fish and handled the fish got sick. It wasn't from eating food, although some people worried about that. It was being exposed to an environmental change that created the habitat, an ecological shift for these organisms to grow. And grow they did and make toxins they did. We didn't know about it. I found a medication called cholestyramine, stopped diarrhea, but corrected memory problems and cough and pain and aching and respiratory issues and the whole nine yards with with that excitement, the state of Maryland called in their experts from University of Maryland and Johns Hopkins, show this guy from Pocomoke that he's wrong. Well, they didn't. They showed I was right. The CDC came forward and they changed the name. How often have you heard about that? They changed my right. name from fish, Fisteria Human Illness Syndrome, to peas. I mean, if a dead fish is one thing, a dead pea, does that scare you? But nonetheless, wow. 
people from Florida called and said, look, we've got the same problem here, but it's with bodies of fresh water with blue-green algae growing. What we found, the same groups of symptoms, a test called visual contrast sensitivity was positive, response to cholestyramine, we still had no laboratory tests that showed the problem. Fungi were growing in one room in 1998, and people acted like they had Visteria or cyanobacterialness, but they didn't. That was the first case of a water-damaged building creating the opportunity to study these biotoxin-related illnesses. The breakthrough came finding in 2000 there was a reason why some people got sick and other people didn't, and that was immune response genes, HLA. Golly, genetic predisposition to abnormalities of innate immune, not acquired, not allergy, but innate mm -hmm. inflammation. Long time MSH deficiency uh, came along, got a chance to show that regulation of inflammation was the prime reason that inflammation itself was disrupted. Didn't take too long before we started finding pathways, cytokines up and cytokines of a different kind down. Didn't take too long before complements, another built-in inflammatory generator, part of the immune response system to protect us from invading particles or antigens. All of these were involved at the same time with other kinds of immunity. We found organisms growing in the nose, and they've turned scary now. Uh, things mm. that we didn't think were a problem in, in University of Newcastle in Australia, uh, Henry Budd and Tim Roberts told us that these methicillin-resistant coagulase-negative staphs were a source of chronic facial pain and chronic fatigue. They published that in 1998, and boy, did we prove it true uh, here in America. It didn't take too long before litigation got started, and now the courts were involved. And what, what kind of wacko idea was this, that chronic fatigue syndrome and fibromyalgia actually were inflammatory illnesses that could be profiled and documented with blood tests done by Quest and LabCorp, covered by most insurance carriers, and then a treatment protocol. Yes, it began with cholestyramine and some others, but yes, it proceeded to correct MSH, proceeded to correct hormone problems, proceeded to correct inflammation. Along came TGF-beta-1, transforming growth factor beta-1, and then in 2007 came VIP, vasoactive intestinal polypeptide. Here we had a neuroregulatory compound that affects every single organ and every single cell in the body. It turns on a membrane-based docking station or receptor, if you will, that activates cyclic AMP, but it does much more than that. It, we now know, and, and, and these papers are all published, they're available to you to read on the homepage of the Surviving Mold website, www.survivingmold. We showed last year that there was a genomic or transcriptomic basis of differential gene activation that was the root cause of these illnesses and that treatment with VIP, which was deficient in these folks, restored gene abnormalities back to normal. Now, this is not the same as the SNP. SNPs tell you nothing about gene activation or gene activity. But what we saw with VIP now, finally, is the ability to correct regulation 
of gene transcription, and even better, regulation of regulation of gene transcription. Oh, my God, it gets complicated. In March of this year, we used the VIP gene activation protocols to support looking at individuals who prematurely had atrophy of the little nuclei called gray matter nuclei in the brain that had never been corrected as a group before. With VIP, with my protocol, with the genomics, we were able to show correction of gray matter nuclear atrophy. We had found in 2014 a distinctive fingerprint for mold and for Lyme and post-traumatic stress disorder and now Ciguatera in the brain. That's one thing to show the injury, but wouldn't right, you right. like to have your brain back with VIP used by a strict protocol? Oh, my God, it doesn't work if you don't do it right, for God's sake. Well, imagine that. For our listeners that are just tuning in, you're listening to Healthy Choices XM, and a special guest, Dr. Richie Shoemaker, is going through an extraordinary discussion of in-depth treatments options for mold and Lyme's disease. And yes, it's a little bit complicated, but this is the reason why we're going to podcast this, so you can share it with your with your medical professional and take some notes. And, and Dr. Shoemaker, you're doing a great job of making it very simple for everybody. So I'll let you just continue. The beauty of uncovering how environmental causes, biotoxins and inflammation from environmental exposure, can adversely impact on innate immunity is that then if we take innate immunity as a standalone and say, okay, we know this creates chronic fatiguing illnesses, there are multiple symptoms and multiple systems, what can you say about the effect of VIP on degenerative osteoarthritis? And, and Ray, I, I think if, if you mm. and I sat down last year, we would agree with degenerative arthritis. We want people to exercise a little more and lose some weight and maybe take some Motrin or take something to chondroitin sulfate or something to, to build up things. But, you know, if you live long enough, you'll have degenerative arthritis. Well, it turns out that where we find the worst arthritis, degenerative now, is in people who have low levels of VIP in the cells that line joints. Of all things, a neuroregulatory peptide affecting cells, well, it affects every cell in the body. I've already told you that once. How about right. with our heart disease? We all worry about cholesterol and blood pressure, and you know somebody's going to say to take a baby aspirin a day. What about looking at coronary blood flow as a function of VIP. The lower VIP levels, the worse coronary blood flow. This is, this is going to blow away the cardiologists right. in the world. The statin makers will probably be mad at me because their business is going to go somewhere else. But yeah. the issues yes. are that every time now we start scratching the surface. How about acute angina? We're looking at imbalances of transforming growth factor beta-1 in regulatory T cells. It's an inflammatory basis of this disease. How about carotid stenosis? Oh my God, you're gonna have a stroke. You got a blockage in your neck. Right. TGF beta-1, TH17 problems as a function of low Tregs. And how do you fix that? fix that? You correct the genomic basis of it. 
I've talked about fixing gray matter. Does this mean that we can identify and correct Alzheimer's? Well, even researchers like Dale Bredesen are talking daily about this. He was the first to publicize what's called type 3 Alzheimer's, which is a result of exposure to water damage buildings and elevated TGF-beta-1. Ray, we're on the cusp right of track. turning medicine upside down. You know, this is what we, we're looking at, not a shortage of drugs, because as a as a, a pharmacy and also uh, practicing for many years, we see people taking 10 or 15 medications at a time, and they don't get any better. So what you're talking about is a, give a solution to the root cause of the inflame, inflammation and fixing it so the body can heal itself, right? You're right on, and I, and I wish that your message could be... Uh, echoed by your listening audience, because if we have the opportunity to say infection versus inflammation, it all goes back to DNA changes. DNA changes and gene changes are in response to environmental perturbations. We know, for example, with Lyme disease, it begins with an infection, nicely studied by a paper that came out of Hopkins and University of California, San Francisco last year. And they looked acutely at people that had nice rashes, so no one argued about the diagnosis like they usually do. But there were 1,300 genes abnormal beginning this, this program. And after antibiotics, guess how many genes were still abnormal? 1,300. That's right. It doesn't fix the problem. Two groups of people. One is feeling fine. One is not feeling fine at all. Guess how many genes are abnormal in both? 700. What we're looking at is a progression of understanding of what illness is. Is illness, I'm feeling bad and I'm tired? Symptoms are hardly reliable, especially if someone's doing a checklist. What is reliable is differential gene activation called transcriptomics combined with proteomics, so the blood test targeted usually to involve inflammation, combined with careful and rigorous differential diagnosis where we don't ascribe magical properties to anything. Don't tell me that your grandma's you know, curcumin pie helped fix your acne. Let's see the data. Maybe curcumin does do all the magical things that, that I believe it does. But let's see the data. Do the studies. Look at what we can do to create objective parameters so that you don't make a doctor guess. You don't make somebody else guess. In this devastation called the U.S. healthcare system, 17% of our dollars are spent on healthcare. I have a feeling that 16 of those 17% are based on diagnoses, based on guesses. That's no way to run a library. You know, unfortunately, a statistic just came out last week that over 50% of the drugs that are prescribed are for behavioral medicines because we don't really understand what is causing that patient to having the, the response. So we're giving behavioral medication as just a Band-Aid. Would you agree with that statistic? Not only would I agree with it, I would say it's a lot more. Show me an antidepressant that really works. Show me the data. Just about every clinical trial has shown that antidepressants barely work better than placebo. But the real issue is that if someone is sad 
and they can't sleep and they have a cough and their joints ache, is it easier to ask 10 more follow-up questions in your 12-minute visit or is it easier to say, how are things at home? Are you having trouble with work? Are you mad about the politics in the country? Are you mad about your next-door neighbor? Or are things going badly in your personal life? And here's your prescription for the new power steering sedative that will put you to sleep and put a wet cloud over all your dreams, and you'll be better in three years. No, it just doesn't work that way. And then when you look at their Neuroquant and you show caudate atrophy, and here is where anxiety contributes to obsessive-compulsive disorder. Here's where intrusive thoughts come in. Add to that some of the mood swings from amygdala atrophy. Add to the tremors and things that come along with pallidum atrophy. Suddenly you get an idea that a structural representation of patients with unusual symptoms tells us about objective measurements that can be corrected. And when you correct the inflammation and correct the objective parameters and the symptoms go away, I guess they're not depressed anymore because they feel good, huh? Is that the way it works? I think that's right. Well, Dr. Schumacher, we're going to take a quick break here, and we're going to come back with some real solutions for our patients, how, what they can do and ask their professionals. Hold on. We'll be back after the break. You're listening to Healthy Choices XM, a pre-recorded interview with Dr. Richie Shoemaker, physician practicing specifically on mold and Lyme disease, talking about some breakthrough therapy regarding neuroregulatory peptides that seem to have a tremendous effect in the response to the body's infection from Lyme's disease, mold, as well that cause this cascade of your body's immune system doing with inflammation that causes tremendous amounts of side effects. The reason why we want to do this show today because Lyme's disease facts from the uh, government statistics that we have over 330,000 new cases this year. And we the annual NIH spending per patient is over $133 per patient where malaria is just 73000 uh, 500. So $133,000 versus 73, but there's 329,000 new cases of Lyme disease, the most fastest growing infectious disease in the country. And we're going to see this more and more and more. And unfortunately, just some people get cured immediately, but there is brain dysfunction that, cur- that, that occurs and sometimes brain disease that occurs from the Lyme's disease that we have to be able to answer. And this is where this, these peptides, VIP nasal spray, vasoactive intestinal peptide, changes the regulatory bodies, the, these peptides in the body, the regulation is corrected. We also talked about mold Sickness. The reason why mold is important because it causes structural changes in the brain as well, very similar to Lyme's disease. That's why this show is so important because we're coming up with protocols that can answer these body's responses to these toxins. You're listening to Healthy Choices XM. Also, check out our website, healthychoicesxm.com. You can always text us at... 512-219-0724 and check out the website 
survivingmold.com has a lot of questions because this is a technical interview, but we felt it was really important for people to get an introduction. And you know, these are solutions that can change people's lives. So check out those those websites, survivingmold.com. And also at the second half of our show, we're going to have Dr. Andy Heyman. He's also been a also been on our show before. He's also working very as a partner with Dr. Shoemaker on these protocols and has one of the talking about the MRI, the brain, how it changes with these diseases. He's going to be on the second half of our show's live. He's going to take some time for some questions. So you want to make sure you come back and listen to our show. It's 512-219-0724. Get me your text messages and also call us at 877-956-9566. And again, our show is going to be podcast. If you listen to a piece of it on iTunes and on our website, Come back after the break for more of an interview with Dr. Richie Shoemaker.
Let's talk about your healthy choices. We have room for you right now. Toll free at 877-956-9566. Well, welcome back. You're listening to Healthy Choices XM and an extraordinary interview with Dr. Richie Shoemaker. And Dr. Richie Shoemaker is going to talk about these neuroregulatory peptides and how we're really changing the course of medicine of being able to getting the body's immune system that may be overreacting to toxins, maybe whether it's mold or whether it's exposure or to the parasites from Lyme's disease. They have some of the similar reactions the body sees. So we're looking at this with some breakthrough protocols, and we're going to jump right back into the interview with Dr. Richie Shoemaker. Let's go ahead, Sean. Welcome back to Healthy Choices. We're talking with Dr. Richie Shoemaker, and he's going to go through, we're talking about the in-depth options for mold illness and Lyme's disease. And we just, the first half of our show, we went through the, the identifying what's causing the problem and also the breakthroughs that are occurring to really understanding the root cause of why the body is doing what it's doing. But Dr. Shoemaker, if you can go through, our listeners are want to know what the next steps are. How do they they get past the where they're feeling right now and to the point of starting to recovery? Could you help us with that? One of the concepts to share is that there are some ailments that people have that often aren't identified as likely to be there by asking simple questions. When when I, I see a, a patient in, how you doing, Mr. Jones? Well, I'm feeling pretty good. Everything doing all right? And looks like your weight's okay and your blood pressure's okay. I've already gone on in 12 to 15 seconds with what I think is going on with Mr. Jones. But if I said to Mr. Jones, when you wake up in the morning, do you feel rested? And he says, no, that should be a tip-off. The correlation with low MSH is there. The correlation with fatiguing illness is there. But then I say, how do your joints feel? Well, from day to day, I do have some soreness. I'm stiff. And it's funny. It's in my knee one day, my ankle the next, my low back the third. And I've got this desk job. I probably don't get enough exercise. Then you say, do you have some trouble with your memory? Well, yeah, I'm starting to write things down, but I'm getting a little older than when I was. I'm now three questions and 30 seconds into the interview, and I've identified the probability that he doesn't have just a chronic fatiguing illness and executive cognitive dysfunction and migratory joint pain, but I'm betting that I'm going to find some chronic persistent uh, respiratory problems, shortness of breath. When I look at his pulmonary functions, which I will do, I'll find it's restrictive lung disease and not asthma. If you've called asthma, maybe he smokes, he gets blamed on cigarettes, maybe it's blamed on weight. When I find out that he has funny gastrointestinal problems, and yeah, he can be constipated and sometimes he's got some diarrhea, I'm going to be quick to say chronic fatigue syndrome and irritable bowel. Boy, they go hand in hand. I can just package them up a heartbeat. But the symptoms that people have, you can extract them quickly. We use 37 found in 40% or more of all these people with chronic fatigue illnesses. But if you find hits along the way, then it's time to say, all right, could there be an environmental cause? And visual contrast sensitivity is a bedside diagnostic method. It takes about four minutes. It actually is looking 
at inflammatory compounds effect on delivery of red blood cells in capillary beds. We can look at the back of the eye, the retina, and the area where the optic nerve head comes into the back of the eye, the, the neural rim, and we can measure velocity of flow of red cells and show that it's reduced. And when you fix the inflammation, whatever the source is, the VCS test goes, deficit goes away, the velocity of delivery of red cells increases, oxygen delivery increases, and people feel a lot better. But if you find a VCS deficit and symptoms, that's the indicator that maybe you should look to see what are the factors that are objective that we use to follow successful treatment. Well, I've already mentioned immune response genes, HLA-DR. That's important to take a look at. You only measure that once. You're born with these genes, but something happens with inflammation that susceptibility to particular biotoxins is at the whim of these priming events such that if I'm born with just say a, a haplotype of 4, 3, 53, that's just one of the kinds, there's 54 big kinds, folks with this one, which is about 3% of the population, are far more likely, if they are exposed to a water damage building, and that's at least 50% of the U.S. buildings, by the way, it's not rare, 50% of the buildings, how about the Lyme folks, 20% of people that get Lyme disease, the general population, are going to have their own grouping of genes, yes, 4, 3, 53, but there are a few others. And we look at ciguatera, maybe people haven't heard of it, it's another fish-related illness you get from eating fish. They have their own unique uh, genetic susceptibilities. Some people can eat the fish and nothing happens. Some people get Lyme disease, take antibiotics, and they feel fine. But of the people that don't feel fine, 95% of 2,000 patients that I've seen and treated are one of four different kinds of haplotypes. So HLA, six kinds for moldy buildings, four kinds for, for Lyme, two kinds for the others. HLA is incredibly important. I mentioned MSH, this neuroregulatory peptide. Is it below 35 uh, picograms per mil or not? If you find HLA susceptibility and low MSH, then there's a whole series of tests that follow logically. Because if MSH is low, you're going to have risk for colonization of these germs that Tim Roberts talked about 15 years ago in the nose. If you have low MSH, you're going to have dysregulation of ACTH and cortisol. And don't start taking hydrocortisone for adrenal fatigue if you don't know what your MSH is. Seriously, this is that's, a big deal. That's, a, that's very important. Now, these tests, we mentioned a, a, a number of them. They're very specialized. They Is this something that the, the practitioner has to be trained on how to order these tests? Is this something that uh, uh, this is not something that, that every practitioner knows about, correct? Oh, boy, is that wrong. When okay. my four-year-old granddaughter can pick up a Quest order book and find MSH, I okay. think that says something. She's pretty smart. But at the yeah. same time, if she can find an MSH, then anybody can find an MSH. They're in the book. You know, that's it. They're in the book. And so they, and again, do they have to go through your training program first to be able to understand this? Well, the training program we offer from Surviving Mold will certainly help. 
if you're going to make a career out of treating these unusual inflammatory response syndrome, we call it SIRS, chronic inflammatory response syndrome. If you're going to be an expert, this is this is pretty complex. Uh, right. And yeah, getting certified is, is the right way to go, and you can get that through our website. But the real issue is that the demand for a SIRS expert physician comes from a SIRS learned patient. So here's where you come in. The demand for services doesn't come from a doctor holding out a shingle so much as it comes from a patient looking for that doctor who holds out a shingle. Right. That's so what we hear all the time. And, you know, when it comes to your pharmacy, for example, where people can get personalized care and get the compounded products they need, you can't get any better than that because you're able to give them the one-on-one the -on -one help, the assistance they need. Because if the doctor doesn't know and, and, and reads a website the patient has, has brought them in or brought in a book or brought in a lab order sheet, and these are all available from the Surviving Mold site, sharing the duties of the pharmacist with the duties of the patient, the duties of the physician, means we've created a team approach. And teams usually get better uh, results than one person acting as a, as a lone wolf. So, uh, so the takeaway is to be able to get in contact with some of the, your practitioners that are, are knowledgeable. If you can't, you can call any of the professionals at our pharmacies and also at Hopkinton Drugs, also out of uh, Massachusetts or PD Labs out of Austin. We'll be able to connect you with phys physicians that are able to heal these these ailments and be able to be educated. And that's what that's what our, we volunteer our services for. And, and also your, your site, survivingmold.com, is a great resource for patients to be able to understand. All our diagnostic and treatment protocols are peer-reviewed and published. I urge anyone who knows they've got a water damage building, if you can see mold or you can smell it, or if you spend all of $150 to do an incredibly accurate DNA test called Hurts Me Too, if that's all you do to prove that you've got exposure to the interior environment of water damage building, that's more than half the battle. Because once you know you've got symptoms and exposure, we'll look at a few labs, and if you have those labs, those are the first three elements of the case definition that was codified in 2008 by the USGAO. Now, that was the first time the feds got involved uh, in, a, in a proactive way. The CDC has been uh, saying some things about mold and Katrina that, that actually weren't supported by, by, by much literature. But, you know, if we look at the World Health Organization report of 2009, the, the information is all there. This is a chronic inflammatory response syndrome. Look for exposures. Look to, to remove from exposures your first step. Now, this is not an allergy. You're not going to get better just by removing yourself from the environment. We know that if you've been exposed to an environment and sickened for more than a month, you're going to have genomic problems that will persist. There are a lot of folks that are doing very well with extreme avoidance of mold exposure, but the gene abnormalities, I hate to tell them, don't change. You're listening to Healthy Choices XM, broadcasting live from Austin, Texas. I'm your host, Ray Solano, and our phone numbers are 877-956-9566. And you can also text us at 
800-227-0724. We're listening to an interview with Dr. Richie Shoemaker talking about the neuroregulatory peptides that seem to fix some of the inflammatory cascade that's occurring that's very similar for people that have been exposed to mold and suffering from mold exposure and also from Lyme's disease, a very fast-growing infectious disease in this country. And we've also invited another special guest, Dr. Andy Heyman, to our show. Welcome, Dr. Heyman, to Healthy Choices. Hi, Ray. Thanks uh, for having me. And we want to thank you again for taking your time on this 4th of July weekend while everybody's vacationing. And, and we're, we're broadcasting live because we want people to understand that there's hope for people that are suffering from many of these uh, chronic ailments. And you, as a, a working very closely with Dr. Shoemaker, have developed these protocols to be for integrative medicine physici- physicians to copy. And if I could just say for, you know, when Dr. Heyman lectures to physicians uh, on an ongoing basis from all different types of uh, topics of integrative medicine. At first, you tell your audience that what I'm about to tell you is going to change your practice of medicine forever. And you know what? They always call us back and they say, you know, after speaking with you in the way that you approach medicine, they don't ever turn back and they can't practice again. (laughs) That's true. Um, I would say that it's mostly because uh, I've walked through the same doors that a lot of those other practitioners have and asked the same questions and confronted uh, the same sorts of challenges over time. And my original training was in traditional Chinese medicine and, and manual therapy um, many, many years ago before I went to medical school. And I realized back then that while I could help a number of people, I certainly had limitations. And I wanted to uh, b- broaden my skill set. Uh, then medical school allowed me to walk through a different kind of doorway and, and think more objectively about um, the kinds of clinical cases I was encountering, and it brought in my toolkit. But even then, that model had its own limitations as well. The next door that I walked through would be considered functional medicine. And uh, I think a lot of us believe that somehow, you know, most of the answers that we need would be found within traditional healing methods or pharmaceuticals, or even functional therapies, but there was still a group of patients that I couldn't solve, that I didn't understand. And when I encountered the work of Dr. Shoemaker and began to apply to my own practice, and we worked to sort of expand uh, the thinking in new directions, that really is the doorway that once you walk through, you can't really look back. It, it, it allows you to solve some of the most complex chronic cases that you might encounter and it really has been a sea change for me. So my job as an educator is to help share uh, that knowledge and uh, to help as many people as I can in my own practice, but also uh, through the educational work that I do uh, through the Metabolic Medical Institute, uh, through George Washington University, and certainly through programs such as this one. Uh, so thanks again for having me and, and Dr. Shoemaker. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. You know, he's, Dr. Shoemaker was talking about the VIP nasal spray and also the product that you and I helped develop, the RG3 nasal spray, all these products that are really targeting brain dysfunction and damage that, that, that occurs. And, you know, you've enlightened us to say that it's all the same. How are these all connected? But the brain changes, and, the, and if, until you change the fix the brain and repair it, the symptoms will come back, and this is where the chronic illness comes up, Correct. That's right. And in fact, the way I 
talk about it with my patients, there really are sort of uh, what I used to think were three areas that we had to address. Uh, the first was uh, dealing with the exposure. And for my practice in Northern Virginia, it seemed to come in equal amounts between Lyme, and if not Lyme, it would have been mold and water-damaged buildings. Uh, there are certainly other biological triggers that sort of set people off in this chronic inflammatory process. But you have to, as best you can, identify what that trigger is, is it current or historical. The second piece, which is sort of the shoemaker protocol proper, is turning off that inflammatory response, which can be uh, perpetual. And that's the source of the person's symptoms. So there's a stepwise process that we go through to correct that. The third piece, which is uh, more recent knowledge, is, well, what's the consequence of all of this? And that is the brain-related changes. It, it really isn't enough just to uh, deal with the exposure or even have the proteomics, the blood labs, return to normal. People will remain symptomatic until you fix the consequences, which is the damage to the brain. This ultimately, and this has been, I think, a revelation for us, uh, through a certain lens, this is a brain injury. And we need to sort of characterize this illness as a brain-based disease to a large extent. The most recent, though, uh, is the work that we've done on the genomic component. And that is to say, we now know that there are a variety of genes uh, that are triggered and due to an exposure and that they are truly responsible for the ongoing symptoms and misery that these patients have. So um, therapies such as VIP nasal spray and RG3 nasal spray are designed to help reduce neurologic inflammation, protect the brain, induce repair, uh, but even then, you're not fully done until you can correct the underlying genomic activity as well. It, it's complicated, but for our Very listeners today, but the, it is actually simple once they actually follow the protocol and the, the answers are there. Unfortunately, five, ten years ago, there was no answers, at least now that you have at least uh, uh, protocols and some some answers, and this is what we you know. I think that's giving hope to our our patients that are out there, and you know I think this is you know what we've what we've seen the patients that have done on these protocols they've gotten better. Um, yeah. And so you know I, I you know thank you for t- taking time and teaching other uh, practitioners as well. If I think we got time for one caller, uh, Jeff. Calling in from Massachusetts. Uh, welcome to Healthy Choices. Well, thank you very much, um, um, and thank you for taking my call. I do have a question. Um, I went to a lecture um, given by a Dr. Downs, who has a uh, a, a practice um, near Munich, Germany, and he specializes in serious prostate cancer, um, serious Lyme disease, and serious cancers. And um, he's supposed to be extremely advanced, what he does is he takes the patient and he exposes them to approximately 105 to 107 degrees um, of high heat, and that um, removes the toxins. Um, My question to you is, have you heard of of this Dr. Downs? And second of all, um, do you know that Johns Hopkins is going to start these treatments also? Dr. Heyman? Uh, I've not heard of Dr. Downs. I've certainly heard of uh, hyperthermia or hyperthermic therapy uh, where they control the body temperature and slowly raise it. 
uh, up to a critical level. Um, it's thought to induce a variety of uh, genomic responses, uh, induce the immune system uh, in very specific ways, and potentially can be helpful in um, chronic infections and um, and in cancer because, you know, at core, they're immunologic disorders. I would say, though, and I would be very careful, uh, you know, in, in contrast to the work that we've done, uh, that, in fact, uh, if you're not correcting the brain-related changes and if all of that aberrant genomic activity is not return to normal, while hyperthermia therapy, at least in the Lyme population, might have a role, uh, I would want to make sure that... Um, uh, the patients who received that therapy, uh, all of their markers uh, return to normal. And unless they're, you know, uh, perform the sorts of measurements that we do, um, I'm not so sure that, that, that they would. We would just have to take a look at that. But, but hyperthermic therapy has been, been around for a while, especially in Europe. And why do you think it's not as popular in the United States? Do you think it's because the drug companies are fighting against it? Um. You know, I, I think there are a lot of reasons why medicine um, is slow to adopt new ideas and and new approaches. Some of it is just sort of the culture of medicine. Uh, we're, we're slow to change, and uh, we're slow to adopt n- new ideas, uh, especially um, within clinical medicine. And that's just sort of the nature of, of how we practice. Um, and, and certainly I, I, I've seen the kind of intrinsic pushback that you can get from the conventional community, um, you know, for all sorts of reasons, not just because lack of familiarity, but sort of, you know, this notion of what's considered evidence-based medicine. Um, and, and oftentimes, quite frankly, a lot of these emerging therapies, and, you know, when you look at, for example, the work that we've done, it's been hard to find funding. You know, That's I right. think the, That's a- the kind of work that we do is breakthrough, um, but it's sort of wh- where is the government or funding agencies going to put their money? Um, and when you have emerging therapies like hyperthermia, for example, there's not a lot of money out there to sort of create the studies that the broader medical community would be interested in. Well, well Jeff, so that- thank, you. thank you for uh, listening to Healthy Choices XM. We're, I, we're just about right out of time. Check out our website, healthychoicesxm.com, for a podcast of today's show and also the website uh, survivingmold.com. And in, in our final moments, uh, Dr. Heyman, we'll make sure we get your contact information. But also, what we're hearing from some of our text messages, a lot of people think that antibiotics is just really the cure for Lyme's disease. That's not really the case, is it? No, it's not. And, and as I said, the model that we apply um, falls into three categories. Again, the first is you have to deal with the exposure. Antibiotics absolutely have a role. Uh, but a lot of patients who've been suffering from Lyme disease, and certainly in Northern Virginia, we're sort of ground zero for Lyme. Uh, even when you have eradicated the infection, the problem is the body persists in its inflammation. That on its own has to be dealt with strategically, and you have to deal with the genomics and brain-related changes through therapy such as VIP and, and RG3. Um, so, so all of that has to be applied in that patient population. And, and one last piece, because I know we're running out of time, uh, the other side of, of the coin of Lyme is mold. So because there's a lot of genetic overlap, there are patients that have been triggered by Lyme disease, and the genes turn on like light switches, uh, but they stay on. And it turns out that this sort of aberrant genomic activity can then sensitize people to 
new threats such as mold. So when we have patients that have been diagnosed with Lyme disease in the past and they've been treated, um, we always want to ask ourselves, are they still infected? But also, are there additional exposures that they're suffering that are also perpetuating their symptoms? You have to be really careful in this population to dissect out what you're dealing with. That's right. Well, Dr. Heyman, we want to make sure we get your contact information for our listeners because you're, again, a big part of this uh, pioneer breakthrough in this therapy. If you can help us with your contact information, please. Sure. My uh, clinic is located in Northern Virginia. It's the Virginia Center for Health and Wellness. Uh, The phone number is 703-327-2434. I'd also like to put in a plug uh, for those practitioners that might be listening or interested in learning more on a professional level. We have a conference coming up in August in Las Vegas uh, as part of the uh, Metabolic Medical Institute. Uh, This is a day on how to manage chronic infections. A lot of this information will be uh, there as well. Well, great. Well, thanks again for another show at Healthy Choices XM. You have a great 4th of July, and everybody stay safe and watch out for and be safe, okay? 